0: I had a wonderful conversation with a man named Akshay who works in the fields of artificial intelligence and machine learning in what sounds like an effort to improve the world around him. So we touch on those subjects and, as usual, many, many others live from Bangalore, India. This is Stranger Than Christian. Hi, Akshay?
1: Yeah, Akshay here. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good, question. How are you?
0: Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for doing this with me. Uh, well, good evening. It's, 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 nine, it's 9 a.m. here right now. So I, I just uh, woke up morning. a couple hours ago. Tell me what you do for a living.
1: So I am a software developer. And I focus mostly on uh, you know, building applications that are powered by machine learning and uh, AI. And uh, currently, I'm, I lead a team. Now, uh, in the data science uh, space.
0: I love technology, but I'm not 100% familiar with what exactly constitutes machine learning.
1: What is that? Okay, so machine learning is basically a subset of AI where you teach machines to learn a very specific task. So it really doesn't know what it's doing, but it knows how to generalize a solution so well that it can actually do it for a wide variety of use cases.
0: Okay, so, so it sounds like applications where there's a set of information and there's something missing from the end of it, machine learning would be able to generate that, that ending.
1: Not quite. Actually, okay, let me give you an example. Right? So sure. now what's going to happen is um, let's say that you have a camera installed at, at a traffic signal, right? And you want to kind of identify how many cars pass, pass through, for every hour. So now what's going to happen is that if you want to do that, you the machine doesn't know how a car looks like or a bike looks like. So what we do it is we provide the machine with hundreds of images or sometimes even thousands of images of what a car looks like and what a bike looks like. And it tries to find a solution that kind of gives a general overview on what it looks like. So now when you deploy it to the particular at uh, traffic signal or some somewhere where there's traffic, it'll then start to identify uh, each of the cars. And then you can use that uh, metadata that you get to either implement something like, is that car overspeeding, Or uh, is the bike, the, the riders on the bike are wearing helmets or not? Or you just want to count how many cars pass through every hour, you can do that as well. Well,
0: that's fascinating. That sounds like it has all kinds of different applications.
1: Yeah, that's actually true. I mean, we build one core, which is at the base. And then we start to build a lot of applications using that core.
0: And now the team that you're leading, what is the goal of the project that you all are working on?
1: Okay. So right now we are actually building an application called the video analysis platform. And what we want to do is give opportunity to people who don't know how to code or how to build machine learning apps, just to come on to the platform and without any coding, or without any programming they'll be able to build applications that are powered by machine learning. So one use case that we are doing right now is something called as a posture estimation. So what it does is uh, you can ask the machine or you can teach the machine to know what a correct posture is or a correct action is. It learns that and then you can start sending it to your clients and it automatically monitors them. It's especially very helpful if there is a fitness coach who wants to automate uh, and check if, uh, if their clients are doing the postures right or if the actions has any issues and so on.
0: Wow. I'm I'm stuck on that first part of it though. So people who don't have any experience building machine learning apps could do this with hopefully the end result of what of what your team is working on.
1: Yes, that's right. So yeah. So the whole gist of it is it's similar to, you know, how you might not know how the car works underneath, but you'll be able to drive a car, right? So it, it works on that principle. So what you do is you come onto the platform you have this set of videos and let's say you are an expert in you know you're a fitness coach so you know when somebody's doing a right action and a wrong action so you kind of annotate the video saying here is where the person is doing the right action and here is where he's doing the wrong action and so on and you give it you know 50 100 images where you annotate with these two sets and then you ask the machine to learn and then it generalizes and then you can deploy it anywhere you would like and uh, it'll probably use the user users' webcam, monitors their postures, and automatically corrects them wherever they are missing or they're going wrong.
0: Well, that sounds like it could change the world, doesn't it?
1: I wouldn't say that, but it's it's too, it's still in a nascent stage. So it has really good applications, but it's going to take time to evolve. But we are headed in that direction.
0: India seems so far ahead of countries like the United States in terms of uh, technology and and outputting uh, content in terms of software, in terms of development, in terms of advancement in those fields. Why do you think that is?
1: I I, okay. this is completely my personal opinion, but I think it's to do with uh, the population. So because there's so many people here, uh, that means that, and so few options, you know, which so here, most of the families have two or three options which they want their kids to take up. It's either software, doctor, or a lawyer. So what tends to happen is you have a lot and lot of software professionals throughout the country. And with that available, there's a lot of competition within and a lot of uh, resources available for a much lesser uh, you know, price point, I think in terms of economic uh, feasibility. So what happens is companies outside of India like to leverage this pool. So now they get really talented people at a very low cost. And that kind of creates an internal competition where, you know, uh, you start to get better and better at things and it a small section of the people will be going through this wherein they will be going uh, undergoing a lot of competition and they'll be innovating in doing that and that is a side of it on the other hand it also leads to lot of uh jobs where it's you know it's very mundane work because it's just a resource pool where you get at a very low uh, cost so it has kind of it's like a double-edged sword basically but i think it has to do everything has to do with the population
0: right and like you said it sounds like there are
1: much fewer options in india i'm sorry and, and what part of india are you in okay so i'm in bangalore it's like it's called the silicon valley of india it's in the south in south uh, southern indian state called karnataka
0: Oh, okay, excellent. Yeah, it it sounds like there are so much fewer options in India, uh, in terms of career, than there are in the in in a place like the United States, which that's where I am. That's that's all I can speak for. But,
1: uh, that's so interesting. Actually, because uh-huh. actually, I, I would like to correct. You. So there's it's not like there's few opportunities. There's actually a lot of opportunities, but it's it's the the parents' mentality that they would want their child to go in these very specific things. It's because they think that being in these fields brings some kind of a reputation to the family and so on. So though the options are extremely wide. And right now that shift is happening where people are going towards entrepreneurship more and doing their own business. But it's going to take some time to reach a fully open-ended acceptance of that.
0: Right. It's almost a big difference in mindset compared to the you know, to the United States, because I think that there are a lot of opportunities here. Um, But to find people that are willing to go through the schooling, go through the training, go through the work to achieve those results, it's, it it doesn't seem like that mindset is, is as common in America as it is in a place like India or China or Asia in general.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, I think one of the reasons why some of the people who are very talented seek out, you know, the Western education or the field, uh, to actually do what they want.
0: Now, have you spoken English all your life?
1: Uh yeah, I have.
0: And where yes. where are your parents from? They're from here. Uh, okay. Bangalore. So,
1: yeah. But they taught you English
0: from a young age.
1: It's actually it's yeah, I mean it's not them. Uh, it's the schooling. So, right from the nursery to up into graduation it's just, it's always in English.
0: Right. And that seems like it might be in line with that, what what you mentioned earlier, that, you know, uh, setting you up for success in those fields from a young age.
1: Yeah, that has to do. Yeah, that, that's very true. I mean, they gave a lot of preference to schooling to make sure that, uh, you know, me and my brother both got really good education and things like that. So that did contribute a lot towards, uh, you know, moving towards something that's nice and something nice to do and um you know how to you know how to proceed towards success and how to achieve it and so on
0: right and what did you want to be when you were younger had you always wanted to work in software or technology
1: um not i think ever since schooling i did want to be in software because i was fascinated by computers and i always um, sought after the fields that would put me in. you know keep me close with the computers and things like that. So that way, yes, but I think uh, uh, much younger I actually wanted to become a astronaut.
0: Oh, that's yeah. a dream, isn't it? I, I think I feel like every, right. every every child at some point wants to go to space, wants to be an astronaut. Yeah. What was your first computer?
1: It was uh yeah, my dad had got uh, a Pentium 2 PC with a crd monitor, you know. It still had the mm-hmm. floppy drives and the CD drives which, coming, So I remember that very clearly. There was one before that, but it's too foggy, the memory.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, I think that was one of my first. I think my first ever computer was an Apple II, which came oh. out, I think, like mid-80s. Yeah, my father was a teacher, and there was a school in his area, in his district, that was closing, and for whatever reason they told all the other teachers in the area, before we close the building, if there's anything in the building you'd like to take home, you're free to grab something. And my dad grabbed an Apple II computer and a big box of uh, I forget what the size is, but the really big floppy disks. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah and, and, the and, and one.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And that was that was my first that was my first computer. I had a lot of fun with that.
1: Oh, that's really cool.
0: Yeah. Oh, it was great to, you know, have a machine that you can just like hit the buttons and, you know, find out what everything does. I feel like that's the best way for a child to learn what a computer does. Just let him press everything, but, you know, let the kid touch whatever it, whatever there is to touch on the computer and just mm-hmm. figure out what everything does. It, it's a much more, I think, a more tactile experience than, you know, re- reading a book about it and taking a class. And I mean, that's how I learned to use the Internet. My my dad worked later at a um at, at sort of an office shop, and it was open twenty four hours, and he used to bring me late late at night to just practice using the computer, and that's how I learned most of what I know now. At that's that that was the foundation for that for that skill set.
1: Oh, that's really nice. For me, it was you know I had to go through classes because it was such an expensive piece of equipment. They wouldn't let me just you know think around with it.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, I imagine. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, uh, that's the dream though you know
0: <laughs> Yeah, Yo, yeah, absolutely. um tell me how quarantine is going in India right now.
1: okay, so fortunately, my city has been the least hit of all the metropolitans in India, and uh, um right now it seems to be like okay the, it's picking up in terms of numbers and uh, we're just getting out of quarantine like we had a total lock down until, until a month ago, and now they're easing it out. But with the easing of lockdown also means the number of cases increases. And yeah, so we are kind of uh, taking more precautions now and so on.
0: Do you think that your country in general has had an easier time adhering to the rules of
1: quarantine? I think I do. I do. Yeah, because I thought it would be almost impossible. But somehow they brought in quarantine and uh, they got in the measures got in lockdown, and there was very little resistance, you know, and people did follow it. And we went through it for 21 days, followed it by another week, and now we're slowly easing out of it.
0: Actually, there was so much resistance here when quarantine ha- first began. Every state had people that said it was their right to not wear a face mask. It was their right to go shopping in the midst of the pandemic. And it, it it's made me stay in my house <laughs> i have not i have not wanted to leave home um because i i have i have a i'm not horrified and i'm not paralyzed with fear but i definitely have a healthy fear of this disease as, as somebody who has family members who are high risk who have underlying conditions that make them more susceptible to contracting viruses like that um but it, it was just so disheartening to see that. And then in contrast, like you're saying, places like India that have billions of people, you know, like the other population is at least, you know, eight eight times the size of, of, of what it is in America. And for them to be able to adhere to those rules was, was in a way inspiring to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, we couldn't believe it ourselves, you know, before the... Lockdown was enforced. We were like, "No way, that's going to happen." It's a democracy. We have a billion people. How can they enforce that? But but it went in, and I wouldn't say that there was no resistance at all. But it was it was there, but it was very less. You know, it was much much lesser than what we expected would have been there. And uh, another thing was, I think, as a nation, most of them are in fear. You know, it's it, we are not a place where what I've seen, at least at least through the news, is. Uh, There's a lot of things in the U.S. which uh, kind of brings out, you know, the freedom of speech and and the right to do what they want and those kinds of things. But um, being a developing nation, the priorities here have been completely different. It's more on survival for most of the population because we have a huge number who don't stay in um, cities and all those things, right? So uh, because of which the priorities were different. So I think that the fear was more here, which is why it might not have affected uh, as much in terms of resistance. is That's what I feel.
0: Yeah, I think there's a definite sense of entitlement in America, and I think that that's brought about by the promise of free speech, by the promise of the freedom to assemble, which are great. It's great that we have those, and it's great that people can 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 let their opinions be known, but I think that when it comes to the protection of the people that you don't necessarily take into account, it, it, it becomes it becomes a slippery slope. Um Because for all the people that are protesting and demanding that the stores reopen, I mean there are dozens, if not hundreds of people that now have to go back into public in order for those stores to be open so in that way, a lot of the protests here are very short sighted you know it it's great that you want to go out and go shopping and, and 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 get back to normal, but there's a whole other subset of people that uh will also have to put themselves at risk so that you can shop and eat in public and things so it's 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 really frustrating I got to be honest with you also you know I, I feel like India uh from what I've seen is much more uh how do I say this they're enforcing it in a much stricter way than they are in America um, I've, I've seen videos of of Indian police you know beating strangers back into their house if they're if they're violating curfew or violating the uh, or the, uh, the, uh, oh, yeah. uh, the quarantine, so, right.
1: Yeah, that, that's actually a funny story because you know these things have happened even in my city, but then it, it does not, when you say strict, yes, it was strict, but you know we also used to venture out, right? but then it was for buying uh, the essentials, buying groceries. So if you had a reason, the police wouldn't say anything. You just said, yeah, I'm going to get my groceries. They would let you pass. But uh, most of the videos that you see, they are the people who are like, I just felt like going out. And that's what the response to the police was when they asked why they're out. And uh, turns out they resorted to beating them with sticks. So, you know, get them back home.
0: Right, 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 right.
1: But, yeah, there is some amount of stickiness. And I think, uh, yeah, we haven't seen anything like that before. But uh, it was strictly implemented.
0: Now, do you know anybody who has been affected by the coronavirus?
1: No, not personally. I knew somebody who was quarantined, but then not affected by it.
0: Good. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I do either. I I talked to uh, somebody for this podcast uh, a few weeks ago who apparently contracted it and didn't mm-hmm. know he had it. He had a wife and a and a baby daughter, and and they hadn't contracted it either. He didn't find out until much later when he got tested that he had already contracted coronavirus and gotten over
1: it. Oh, is it okay? Because yeah, I've 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 heard a lot of this news when people just get it, but they'd have no symptoms at all. And, you know, they don't even know that they had it.
0: Yeah, that's what they say. And they say that it specifically is most dangerous to the very elderly and the very young um, and that people with strong immune systems, uh, you know, have a better chance of getting over it, obviously. But yeah, apparently a lot of people have already had it and, uh, you know, they didn't know it. They just thought it was a bad cold. I know that there was a period back in about beginning of February where I felt sick and I felt sicker than I had ever felt in a really long time that lasted for about three days. I don't know that that was it. I was tested, and they said that I didn't have it but um scary how it can just make itself apparent like that
1: yeah, that's true I mean uh, us at home like we are young, so I'm, I'm okay with it, but like you said, there are people who are at risk of you know contacting it and it's becoming making them really sick so That's the whole reason why we are taking as much precautions as we can. It is frustrating, but then you have to do it.
0: Yeah, the end result is worth it, I think.
1: Exactly, yep.
0: Yeah. So, and I've been asking this of every guest that I have on this show Um, the participation in this podcast on your part was a choice. I put out a form on Reddit. I said, if anybody wants to talk to me for a little while, if I don't know you, I'd love to talk to you. Just fill this out and we'll be in touch. What made you want to participate in this project?
1: I think, you know, especially on Reddit when I've seen all these things uh, it's mostly to do with how to set up the next biggest podcast ever or, you know, they want to, start the goal is somewhere something, you know, that's uh, something that's different, something that's, uh, it didn't catch my eye. But here, there is somebody who was very willing to talk to, you know, a, a everyday person and then uh, talk to them and, you know, having a be in a podcast. And, and I really like that part. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I think, I think I might have a chance to be in a podcast. So that really uh, made me feel like, okay, probably I should go and fill out the form and see what happens.
0: Well, I'm very grateful that you did. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I'm a people person and this quarantine has really put me in fear of losing that ability to engage with people. I I, I work at a hotel typically and I'm home from work now because there's there's just no work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so this helps me get back into the swing of, uh, you know, engaging with people because that was my favorite part of what I did for a living was I, I got to meet people from really all over the world. I I, um, I was I am the assistant manager of a hotel in a place called Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and it's a big tourist attraction because they have a lot of shops and, and the Amish, which is a uh, sort of like a – how how would I describe it? The Amish is more of a religious sect, and mm-hmm. they are very – I'm not sure if you're how familiar you are with the Amish.
1: I've heard of that. I don't know. I know that there's something to do with religion, but I don't know what exactly – or who exactly they are.
0: Right. Their big claim to fame is that they don't use electricity and that they don't use modern conveniences, and their lives are propelled oh. by – sort of archaic technology um so the traffic in lancaster you'll see cars but you'll also see a lane for horse and buggies um and it's it's people really come from all over the world to see that way of life me living here i've lived here for five years i don't really see the big deal about it anymore but people love it and uh yeah so i I work at a hotel in this area um i meet all kinds of people but i've been missing that lately so that's part of
1: why i started this project Oh, that's that's really nice. It's, it's damn interesting, and yeah, I mean, I I, I can see why people come to you know see that way of life. I, I know it's it's actually quite interesting, you know, to be there and see how how it works out.
0: Right. Oh, yeah. People are so curious about it. And the Amish, for the most part, are very friendly as well. You can walk up to them and ask them a question and ask them, you know, why they dress the way they do or how they get by without electric light, how they get by without the Internet, how they get by without telephones.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, they're very forthcoming in answering those questions from tourists, which is uh, probably part of the draw of tourism to that area as well, that you're not only able to experience their way of life, but you can ask anything that you want to ask.
1: Yeah, that's that's really nice,
0: and that's really part of why this is so much fun for me too. Because I I, I get to talk to people from all over the world. I mean, India seems so far away f- from me, which it is. It's thousands of miles away, but to be able to talk to you is 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 incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is my first podcast, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah.
0: Oh, good. I'm 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 glad. Um, what can I ask you? When you are hungry, what do you snack on? What are some of the big snacks in India?
1: Um, okay, it depends actually. Because we have a lot of uh you can see it was it's a part of homemade snacks but it's not really anymore. There are industry set up for it. But there are all these kinds of uh chips and crackers kind of items that they uh, prepare with all sorts of things. So that's must be number 1 and then closely followed with chocolates.
0: What do they prepare the crackers and stuff with?
1: Uh, um, it's uh, Some of them are uh, various grains. They use that. That's number one. And then potato. That's uh, the second variety. You get a lot of potato chips. And there's bitter gourd and sweet potato. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the top few. Well, and... that
0: sounds like what we have here. It's mostly potato chips. Pretzels are, 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 are a big deal here. Um yeah, corn chips and things like that. So it sounds like mostly the same, the same type of snacks.
1: Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but they have these Indian spices mixed in it, and you know we call it the masala. So it, it's it's loaded with that.
0: Oh, I love I love Indian food. We have an Indian restaurant down the street from us here, uh-huh. and I I absolutely love Indian food. Really? Uh, chicken tikka masala is like one of my favorite dishes. Yes. Oh, mine absolutely. too. Yes,
1: definitely. How spicy do you like? I I actually when uh, I I can't tolerate much spice, so, you know. Uh, I so mine is actually less on the spice scale. But when it comes to non vegetarian food, I can I can actually tolerate much more spice than with the vegetarian food. I Are really you vegetarian? No, I'm not.
0: Oh okay. I somehow I I had this idea that a lot of the population of India was vegetarian. Is
1: that true? I don't think so. There is a good mix. Of both, but vegetarianism is something that you'll find across India and extremely often.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, I think I, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think they have one of the highest sort of percentage of the population uh, being vegetarian. Oh yes,
1: that that would be definitely true. Yeah,
0: I tried it. My wife and I tried being vegan for about six months, mm-hmm. and uh, it we saw the benefit. And I don't know why we fell out of it, but it was uh, it was definitely a lifestyle change. And once you become vegan, you realize just how many, th- how many things in your daily life are made with animal products. And it's, uh, it's, it's definitely very eye-opening.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, we don't have that problem here because um, I felt that, okay, here, because vegetarian, vegetarianism is so, such a big thing, uh, so it's extremely easy. You get really tasty food, uh, veg food. So you, sometimes you don't crave for non-veg as much.
0: Are you working from home right now?
1: Yeah, it's been three months.
0: And when you don't work from home, are you usually in an office? Are you usually working from a, from a different building other than your home?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, I work for a company, and uh, we usually use that. I mean, uh, the company has rented an office space, so we all uh, meet up there. And that's where we work usually.
0: I would like to know about the people you work with. What's your team like?
1: so yeah i actually work with a diverse team they come from uh, being the silicon valley of india like i said so because it's going to be the it it's the it hub of india so people come from all over the country uh, so because the job opportunities here are very high so uh, I, my team there's one person from uh, a different state and uh, two others okay, actually two people are from different state and two others are from the state where i'm from and they're all nice i mean they just just started working about uh, two years ago and they're catching up and ai and ml is the next big thing right so you you hear that everywhere so they are really excited to work on that and they are learning a lot of things so there's a lot of enthusiasm right now So it's quite nice and i also work with uh, a data scientist um he's extremely knowledgeable and like super smart so i get to interact with him we kind of bounce ideas and That's what we use, you know, building our current platform that we're working on.
0: Is it great to work around people that are knowledgeable and intelligent and willing to share that knowledge with you?
1: Oh, yeah, it is. And I mean, that's one thing that I really like about uh, at least, I've been with this company for around four years now. And uh, that's one thing I like, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, how much of experience you have, because that's a very bad thing that I've seen across the IT industry here in India. And that is okay, more than the number of years you have on your board, you're supposed to be that much smarter, which is not the case. So uh, what I found here is people who are much younger, but, you know, they recognize the smartness and they treat it as equal. And it, it shows in the results, you know, everybody's happy. We're able to build nice and cool things. And yeah, I like it that way.
0: Right. Now, one of the concerns regarding... AI and machine learning in America especially in the context of the protests that are going on you know against police brutality and the abuse of power by you know by police there have been a lot of cases where the camera systems in different cities are employing facial recognition and recognizing individuals who participate in protests and those people then sort of receiving retaliatory ac- retaliatory actions because they were seen by a city camera in public protesting. Do you think that there is something to the fear of artificial intelligence and machine learning taking such a prominent place in our lives?
1: I think there is. There's no doubt about that. I won't deny saying that, you know, it's it's all nice and good and all of that. But I, I also believe it's not to the extent that people believe it's going to destroy stuff, or you know, it's going to bring about such change that's going to be leading to either uh, loss of freedom or the loss of the ability to you know um, think on your own, and you'll be constantly surveilled. So I think even without AI, that can still be implemented. And I, I do agree that AI has its downsides, but it, it, I think the the good that it can do outweighs the downside it has. So that is why I feel that um, we should put forward in this direction and let's say i mean the most the worst case scenario is ai taking over or something and though that's theoretically possible i think it's so far away that we should not be concerning ourselves with that as of now because it has a lot of good to offer and to help us with in that regard
0: I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And my personal opinion, you know, my wife and I talk about this all the time because my wife to a certain degree has a fear of new technology and has Mm -hmm. a fear of artificial intelligence. Um, And that is partly based on her personal beliefs and partly based on the religion that she grew up in. Um, But my point of view is because of the level, the amount of information that we receive on a daily basis from all different sources, the fear of new technology is is so prevalent because we hear so much about it we hear, you know we those voices that broadcast that fear are as loud as the voices that are promoting it for you know for positive reasons so i think that we're just really more aware as a culture of the fear associated with new technology. I think that any bit of technology that's come out, you know, in the past, in the past hundred years, I'm sure people were afraid of the telephone when the telephone first, you know, was first invented. People were afraid of the radio, were afraid of television, microwaves. So I think that the fear of new tech is nothing new, um, but we're just much more uh, aware of it because it's just broadcast so loudly.
1: Yeah, I agree. That, that's, that's very true. And, you know, fear sells, right? So they can sell fear much easier than selling hope. So I think that's why they do that. Because there's so many things that I see on a daily basis about how AI did this, AI did that. And it's actually extremely biased towards making it look like something to be feared, where it isn't. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why, you know, people still are wary of the technology that's coming up. But uh, I I don't think so much of effort is put into finding out if it can actually help them, which I'm sure if they do, they're going to find a lot of applications that's going to directly impact their life.
0: Right. And that's a great point as well. There's definitely more money in fear than there is in hope. You can make people scared and force them to spend money to avoid that feeling of being scared. So I think that the financial aspect of it is uh, is definitely a big deal. Do you think that Do you think that the proliferation of alarmist news about artificial intelligence creates a struggle in your field? Do you think that that's an obstacle that you have had to, that your industry has had to work through? Okay.
1: No, I I, I don't think so because uh, at least we are a business who works like, it's a B2B, right? So it's a business to business. So uh, because of that, most of the businesses at this point in time, they do not know if they want AI or not. So what they're really trying to do is to kind of present their problems and come into companies like us to see if we can solve that using AI or machine learning to be more specific. Um, So I feel that we, at least we as a company, haven't faced this kind of an issue at the moment. But I I recently read the news that uh, face recognition technologies, people are defunding it. And I think that is the right step because... I work with facial recognition sometimes, and it's so easy to set up one. You know, a couple of hours and a camera can be up and running, tracking people. And even if it doesn't know who it is, it can individually profile them because you know your face is like a fingerprint. So I can identify you uniquely by your face. So you can just set up a system in a matter of hours and you can deploy it. It's that quick and it's become that easy. So I can see why those kind of steps, like defunding such programs, um, is a good step. But in general machine learning has a lot more things to offer, which people are using it in their everyday lives and they don't know about it. So from that perspective, and there's a lot of things which people aren't aware of but are welcoming indirectly. So that makes sure that we don't have as much resistance when we're building you know, applications powered by this technology.
0: Absolutely. My prediction is that in the near future, artificial intelligence and machine learning will be part of our lives. But you know, I, I compare it to... The Internet, when the Internet first became a reality, there were, of course, concerns that it could be used for evil. It could be used to uh, to spread pornography. It could be used to buy drugs, to meet people and kill them. And all the all the terrible things that we heard about the Internet, you know, never meet a stranger on the Internet, never, you know. Um, but sooner or later, the good outshadowed, you know, overshadowed the bad. That There are so many positive applications that the Internet could uh, you know bring to reality that uh, it, it just it just became a part of our lives, and I think that artificial intelligence is going to be viewed the same way.
1: Yeah, I think so too. It just needs some time because um, and AI has always been there. It's just that the technologies have been aligned, you know, the infrastructure have been aligned to make it propagate to at least the level in which it is uh, there right now. So it's going to take some more time, but we're going to and. Actually, AI has already been implemented and everybody who has a smartphone is using it as of today, right? And they don't even know it. So it's just a matter of time that it gets integrated even more and people actually see why it's, it's good.
0: Yes. And that's another sort of issue that I have with the part of society that criticizes technology. Um, there's a definite hypocrisy because, you know, in America, there's this uh, there's this habit of canceling people who say things we don't agree with. If uh, if somebody who's in charge of a business broadcasts a, an opinion that you know is is controversial or is negative, we will stop buying their product. We will make sure that they don't have a job anymore. We will you know and so on. But my opinion has always been. If we eliminate all of the products in our lives that are manufactured or conceived or promoted by people who we don't agree with, people whose political views we don't agree with, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be missing from our lives. All of our cars go away. All of our phones go away. All of our computers go away. So the inconsistency in that view is, 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 is a definite annoyance for me.
1: Well, that's true. And that's applicable here too, you know. And with more people, there, those kind of things get amplified even more. And I think recently, if you read the news about uh, the TikTok app, you know, where people put in a lot of one-star reviews to try to get it taken off of the Play Store and so on. Right. Yeah. So it, it happens here all the time. If this if somebody is disagreeing, especially on Twitter, um, one view that kind of... You know, it's likely controversial or it need not be controversial. It might be just opposing the views of the people who follow you and they're going to get hundreds of people to kind of try to get you to shut down, get you to apologize and all of that. So I think that's prevalent here too. And, you know, we can see it every day. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What was the first application you ever coded? What was your first, what was your first work?
1: Um, okay. So this is when I was learning uh, programming on my own uh, back in college, I built an app which, you know, is a quiz app. So you can, um, it'll ask you random questions. You feed it, you know, certain questions, and you can answer it and tell you whether it's right or wrong. And then you can you get scored basically. So that was my first one. And this I, is- it's,
0: I mean, it's so funny that when younger people, when kids learn to code, the first thing they always make is a game. Yeah, I think that that's so. Yeah, it's so it's so cool.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, I think it's it's been designed mind that way. You know, if you you pick up a course, you pick up a book, they'll teach you coding or programming. The very first things that they do is because, you know, building a game is fun, right? So they either give you a text-based game or they give you certain minimal graphic-based games and so on. So it's quite interesting that way.
0: Do you think all kids should learn how to code in in their schooling?
1: Yeah, I I am definitely for that because coding has reached a stage where you don't need an entire education system to kind of support you to understand that and you can start literally anyone can start anytime and within six months to eight months you are good at coding and it's a nice skill to have you you if it might not you might not build an application that millions of people use but you can use it to build apps that simplify your life you know those small things that you would want and those kinds of stuff so i think i do believe that everybody should learn coding and it's not that difficult anymore
0: no, it doesn't seem that difficult. I signed up to take a uh, a Java programming course and mm-hmm. that actually starts in a few weeks. I just think it's, it's going to be a good skill to have, especially now that I know that working from home is possible. You, know, that it, you, know, you never know when this could happen again. Well, we'll have to be home for months at a time. And I think that it would be great to have a skill where I could bring money into my household, into my family and, and, and be able to do that from home.
1: Oh, yeah, that's definitely possible. And and, you know, knowing even a single programming language is really good because then you can shift to another one extremely easily. So you do Java and within a month, let's say you've been doing Java for a year, shifting to Python will take you a week.
0: Right. You know, it's funny. I just talked to somebody a couple of weeks ago for this show and we were talking about musical instruments <laughs> and how if you learn how to play a guitar it's much easier to learn how to play a piano and the physical differences between the two are great but the technical differences are not as many um so yeah like it, so it, it almost sounds like learning a programming language is almost like learning a musical instrument where you know if if you know how to if you know how to use one you can move to the other fairly easily
1: yeah i mean yeah that is an interesting analogy i i hadn't uh, realized that i mean i play guitar but then i i was I've been only playing that. So I didn't know about the piano part. But interesting to know.
0: Who are some of the big celebrities in India right now?
1: Celebrities. Okay, I think it is it, it divided between uh, Bollywood, Hollywood and cricket. And, and because there's so many people, there's not one. There can be many. You know? right, so right, right, right. There are a couple of people in Bollywood, a couple of cricketers, and a couple of Hollywood uh, actors and actresses. Who are the big cricket players right now? I think Virat Kohli must be on the top of the list. And then uh, actually I don't follow cricket much. So Oh okay. Though I, I know That's that? I,
0: don't, yeah, I, don't, I don't I don't I don't really follow sports either. Uh, I, I was I was just curious cuz cricket seems to be such a big sport in in India oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's almost unheard of in America. Yeah. yeah. It's a religion. <laughs> um hmm. Give me one second. I'm just adjusting my... I have a studio built in a closet in my in my home. So this is where I'm oh. recording from right now. So it's a little sort of three by five closet. And uh, <laughs> so it's, well, it's nice it to a little... have
1: your studio, you know? It kind of keeps you... Oh, it's great. And nice.
0: Yeah, making this studio was one of the projects I set for myself while I was home. Um, I'm just glad to have a space where I can, I can do, you know... I could pursue creative things. It, it's nice. It's, it's, it's nice to own a space, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's one thing that, I, you know, especially on Reddit, I keep seeing uh, on the DIY sub is where people are taking this time to actually build stuff. It's kind of almost unheard here. Unheard of. It's just... Oh, I, well,
0: like, to, like to use that time, like productively and to, and to set out and like make something or do something while you're... Yeah.
1: Home. I mean, at, at home, like you're actually building a space. They're re- remodeling their home and all kinds of stuff, you know, building coffee tables out of wood. They it's kind of crazy.
0: Right. Well, I think that that has a lot to do with the American mindset, which is, you know, wake up, go to work, make money, make profit, come home, you know, buy what you want to buy, go to bed and repeat. And there's this push to, you know, always go and run and go and go and go and go. And I think that, a lot of people, especially in America, have had issues during quarantine because all of a sudden you have to stop. There's nowhere to go, you oh. know, and I I know that I I personally dealt with that when I first, you know, started staying home. Uh, I felt like I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't making anything. I wasn't you know, there was no money coming into the house. What, You know, and um, I felt like I needed to make something or do something because it just it felt like a waste of time. But. It took my wife reminding me that um, the quarantine is not meant so that you can, you know, emerge from it uh, with a new coffee table or a new job or a new <laughs> yeah. anything that, you know, the goal is just stay home and make sure you're safe and healthy. But um, it's very easy to fall into that mental trap of like, well, I'm, I'm home. I, I, I need to do something.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. You know, I have I have had similar thoughts a lot, a lot of it. And that's why I do actually keep venturing out and trying to do many things. I have a blog and then I do sometimes I also write for other companies, you know, because they need uh, technical writers and so on. Or I just, uh, I, I either sketch sometimes and so on. So sitting idle is actually quite difficult, especially when you kind of feel that there is time where you can do something different. Yes, absolutely. Tell me about your blog. Okay, so uh, it's around uh, six, seven years old, and it's a technical blog. And it's mostly for sharing what I learned, at least started out that way. And I shared, uh, it was, you know, the reason for starting it is to have a place where I can just put out things that I worked on uh, technically, you know, some pieces of code or uh, an article that talks about how to set up a software and so on. And then it slowly evolved to sharing more and more detailed information about machine learning and it's slightly tilted towards sharing just what i had in my mind so now it's technical i also share book reviews the books that i read and so on yeah
0: so that was just sort of whatever you want to put on there it's it's like uh it's it, it's it's it sounds almost like your personality in blog form
1: i yes to an extent but not much because it also has a lot of technical content that i just i know and i've worked on it so okay let me put it out there so it's just a mixture of everything i would say
0: what's the address where can you find the blog
1: uh it's uh, sourcedexter.com.
0: sourcedexter.com. okay yeah. perfect and a lot of people who i've had on the show have had blogs that they wanted to promote or podcasts. so um, i'm i'm very i'm very generous with that just whatever you want to promote just go ahead it's it oh, thank you smart. oh no no,
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> nothing for me to promote i just wanted to have a conversation, it's
0: really nice. Oh, of course, of course. No, no, no. I, I, but I don't. I, I, I don't mind at all. I think that people who do creative things, and I've said this many times to the other guests that I've had, uh, people who mm, create need to stick together and promote what they create. Yeah, that's because true. that's yeah. you know, it's especially now with there's just so much content in the world, and there has to be a way to make the independent creative people you know there has to be a way to make that content more visible because we're you know we're up against a lot of people a lot of companies a lot of a lot of content
1: oh yeah that's that's very true and then most of it i mean i I kind of you know i get outraged by the the amount of how to put it across they're not credible sources. It's just information output out there just for the sake of clicks and so on. It's it's just kind of frustrating, you know, to see. Right, right,
0: uh, uh, clickbait.
1: Yeah, clickbait.
0: Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, I think that journalism, because I was a journalism student and I sort of became disillusioned with the whole concept of journalism as a whole uh, because of what you mentioned, because of the amount of of clickbait there is in the world. Uh, Journalism on the internet has gotten to the point where they figured out The formula they figured out how to get people to click on your article or to you know to tap on your article, and it's you know the content isn't there, but the engagement is, and I think that that's that's dangerous for journalism as a whole, especially in times like these when information and news is 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 so important because it's definitely you know at at risk. A lot of people in charge of the world are, are 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 vilifying journalists, so you know, to find honest information is, uh, is difficult, but important.
1: Yeah, I mean, at least if I, if I just turn on the news, it's really weird because all you see is agenda being pushed and not real information, not credible things. It's just like, okay, I have to say, uh, push this agenda. That's my job and I'm going to do only that. And you can clearly see it and it's kind of disturbing, you know. So I try to stay away from news as much as possible.
0: Yeah, that's probably a good thing. And I think it also goes back to what you said earlier about fear and money. At the end of the day, television news is is a television show just like anything else. So they need their ratings and they need their, you know, their uh, their data and they need people to watch what they're doing. So they instill fear in the people that are watching and then they, you know, broadcast commercials where they say buy this and do this and go here and use this and 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 that cycle just repeats itself. So, yeah, television news has huge roots in fear and and capitalism and you know spending money.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true. I sometimes I feel it's it's a lost cause because first you see okay, these are some independent news producers and they actually want to get the truth out or at least have ethical journalism in place and soon you can see them turn towards one side or the other. You know, so it's kind of disturbing or it's kind of, I don't know, it's unsettling. So, yeah. That's, yeah, that's it definitely it really is. is.
0: It, it's so hard to avoid news, though. How do you avoid news?
1: Um, basically, I think it's, okay, My one of the ways that I have found is to close the circles of social media because then what's going to happen is uh, the number of news that gets shared, supposedly news that gets shared, is reduced drastically. And second thing I do is not, go on Facebook as much as possible. That also reduces a lot of things.
0: Yeah. Oh, Facebook is, is is. I don't even know how to describe it. I, I, I loved Facebook and I'm still on Facebook because I keep in touch with my family and some of the professional things that I'm doing. Exactly. But yeah. it, it's, there's no worse place to find news than Facebook.
1: It is, at least, it, I try to clean up the feed so much, but it, it can't, you can't change it. It's it's almost impossible. It's just... right junk after junk in an infinite scroll.
0: Well there's another example of an outlet where the users have figured out the formula and figured out how to get their content viewed. I mean you can you can create a news story and have a hundred people share it. And the fact that a hundred people shared it make now makes that a credible source, makes it a credible piece of information. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Buying likes it's called a click farm, right? So you can buy likes, you can buy Comments, you can do all sorts of things. I actually have yeah. a Facebook page which has around 20,000 people. Again, this was part of the, uh, you know, I created this page for my blog. And out of the 20,000 people, I won't be surprised if only 18,000 are fake. You know, there's almost no engagement and um, there's literally nothing. And you see that some of the profiles, it's, it's bizarre. So I'm pretty much sure that they're all fake profiles or so just do these kinds of things to seem like genuine people, but they're just a facade for uh the clip function
0: sure it's scary to wonder how many people on the internet are not even real people isn't it <laughs> yeah that's
1: true that's very true
0: <laughs> well on on that note actually i'm i'm glad you're real and i'm glad i was able to talk to you today i hope you uh, enjoyed this experience of yeah. being your first podcast
1: oh yeah it was totally enjoying, extremely interesting I- no, it was my first experience and i must say i really liked it
0: fantastic i'm very glad to hear that good luck with everything you're doing in in artificial intelligence and machine learning thank you for doing what you do um and i'm i'm glad we're not strangers anymore
1: yeah me too thanks for having me
0: absolutely have a good day sir thank you,
1: you too. bye-bye
0: all right bye-bye Stranger Than Christian was produced, recorded, and edited by me, Christian Carrion, here in beautiful downtown Lancaster City, Pennsylvania. For more information on the show, to listen to past episodes, or to send me an email, visit strangerthanchristian.com. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next time to another episode of Stranger Than Christian. Bye-bye.